Good afternoon and welcome to the Football Outsiders Radio Hour on Twitch. Not actually on the radio and not always exactly an hour, but always on Twitch. Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 Pacific. Hello, let's talk some football. I'm Aaron Schatz from footballoutsiders.com. And uh, we've got something a little different and something a little the same this week. As far as the same, I'm once again joined by Mike Tanier to talk football all hour. But we are also joined by a special guest. This is our first Twitch show with a special non-Football Outsiders guest. We've got Matt Manicharian here from Sports Info Solutions. Many of you know Sports Info Solutions for all their excellent charting data. Uh, they are the charting data provider for Football Outsiders Almanac. I've worked with them for years. And they've got this really sweet football analytics competition that they've mm. So we are going to see some really interesting new uh, approaches to looking at pass routes and coverage, all of the finalists and the cool stuff from the football analytics competition from Sports Info Solutions. So hello, Matt, and welcome to the show. What's up, Aaron? It's good to be kind of uh, reunited. And it's good, uh, good to see you too, Mike. I'm, uh, I'm very excited to be here, excited to talk about the competition with you guys. Um, and we should mention right off at the top that it's all for a good cause. Everything goes to the Boys and Girls Clubs of America. Oh, so we want, we want people to tune in August 4th at 8 p.m. Eastern for the finals um, and definitely to donate because we're trying to raise money for a good cause. That's going to be on YouTube, correct? Yep, that'll be on YouTube Live. All right, so that's Wednesday, next Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. And I, I believe I am one of the judges. Yeah. Yes, you are. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of really interesting analytics work. And it's just, I think the number of applications that you get shows just how excited young people are about sports analytics. Like there's a lot of cool work being done right now by people who are still in college. They put, they put it all out on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and like, there's just really good stuff being done. And it's remarkable. Like to me, this is still like in the back of my mind, my weird little hobby from 20 years ago. And now to have all these young kids doing all this really cool work with as much data as they can get their hands on is just excellent. Yeah, it's really, uh, it's one of my favorite things about my job. We do all this stuff where unfortunately we gather this data and we have to sell it for money so, so that we can collect it. And, and uh, it's really fun to work with teams on that, work with different people like, like you. Um, but I mean, this is cool because we're actually just sharing the data with the community. Um, it's out there, it's for free. Uh, I know there are a lot of people that believe that this data should just be free in general, too. And I can't say that I disagree with that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not in the position to just snap my fingers and make it free, except once a year. Um, and so it's really cool that all these people kind of take us up. We get dozens of entries, um, people that, that want to just get their hands on the data. It's a year of really uh, deep football data. We gave every route that was run by every, every play in the NFL season in 2020. Uh, along with the coverage schemes and a whole bunch of other information, RPOs, stuff like that. Um, so we were really gave some intricate data and we said, you know, what are the most popular route combinations, which is sounds like a simple question, but there's right. a lot to that. Um, and then how do they perform against the different coverage groups? And yeah, like you said, um, it's really cool that uh, we get all this participation there. I will, say, I will say from having, we used to, do the charting project ourselves with a bunch of volunteers. I know just how much work goes into collecting that data. And we collected like less than half of what you collect. So I yeah, can only I'm imagine. We, one thing that we might want to do next year is uh, actually share some college football data. Because what's cool about college football data, besides the fact that it's kind of even more rare to see out there, is you get 130 teams that we cover instead of just 32. So a lot of the sample size stuff, you deal with a lot of different teams um, which creates problems, but also you do get a different level of sample. So we might pivot in a different direction next year. We'll see. And what you were saying is it's not just a matter of saying, well, what are the most popular, what are successful pass routes? It's not like, oh, I went through the data and like a, uh, most teams run slants 18% of the time. There, it's obviously a lot more to that because you're, you're also providing the data for the routes that don't get targeted and things like that. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So um, really, there are a few different layers that you can look at th this question where it's explicitly not saying what what route should you throw the ball to right We're look at the route combinations and some people took the approach of a route combination is when these two routes were run on the same side of the field together, or there could be two man and three man route concepts. 
Other people said, I know the concepts. They're Mesh and Haas and whatever other anybody else has in whatever playbook they're, they're aware of and kind of looked at it the opposite way, right? It's kind of, are you looking at it bottom up or top down in terms mm-hmm. of these routes grouped together or what do I know as a route concept and look at it from there? Um, and that's just the first layer because then in terms of what's actually successful, we all know that football is so dependent on context. So the way that you approach fitting in the routes and how they performed into what concepts they were actually asked to perform in, uh, what context they were asked to perform in, that's, that's another layer that uh, people really got going and got some mm. interesting thoughts. Yeah, I'm sure there's certain route combinations that coaches really like to go to on third and short or certain route combinations that coaches really like to go to on third and long. And we need to know whether those combinations work or not. Right. Like you can't just say like, what's the best combination? What's, what's the down (laughs) and distance? What's my team? What's the other team? Uh, There's a lot that goes into it. I I love the idea of someone coming at this and saying, well, you know what? Uh, Slant flats had a success rate of, you know, 62%. Therefore every team should run slant flats. On every single play, like some sort of loony off the deep end uh, conclusion like that. And like, what do you mean? What do you mean that that won't work, that that's suboptimal? But of course, the people who are coming up to this are a step above that level of like sort of like ramming your head into the cement wall and recognize that they're finding something more subtle in that. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of the, the better ones uh, got past that. You know, you get your mix. We had one <laughs> submission. So you, do get, so you do get a little bit of kookiness is what you're saying. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we're getting dozens of these in. Uh, some yeah. people don't have as much time to, to commit to things and try to do the quickest route. But uh, some of them are really, <laughs> really impressive. And uh, I don't say this to, to uh, marginalize anybody. One of the submissions that I found to be the most interesting, actually, the person didn't really do any of the analysis. They didn't really do any of the work. But the first half of the presentation was like, this is how I think theoretically somebody should attack this problem. Basically, somebody that's a better coder than me would do these steps. And then at the end said, if somebody could do that and get the results, here are the 10 applications of this. And obviously, this isn't something that's going to win the competition or or make it as a finalist. But this person had some really interesting ideas, uh, even if um, really the the core of the competition wasn't, wasn't met there. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, That's like an interesting that. one to turn in. It sounds yeah. like my son turned it in. I didn't do any of the work, but I'm going to tell you what I think. No, no, no. I know what you're saying. That theoretical piece is is important. The ideation is an important step to it. And ideally, somebody like that would be working with a coder to actually like to right. create it. Yeah. Right. If you get some good good partner, you can get teammates for the competition. Uh, that would definitely be the ideal way to go. <laughs> So let's take a look, or uh, we've got some graphics, but I think mostly you're gonna sort of describe to us what's in some of these papers and what they found. And then I think we have a graphic to go with each one. One of them we have like four graphics for. Because um, the graphic well, yeah, was let's, let's talk through some four of parts. So, and, yeah, I thought um, five of the kind of contenders, we're gonna, we're gonna announce the finalists tomorrow because uh, the R&D team at SIS, we've been going through all of these dozens of submissions over the course of the week. And uh, we're gonna announce who's gonna make it to the, the final event. There'll be three final contenders on the football side. And then we're actually pivoting the format a little bit. We were also gonna have three contenders on the betting side, but we just got overwhelmingly more uh, entrance in on, on the football analytics side. So we're gonna do the football analytics competition and then we're just gonna take the best of the betting entries and we're gonna uh, kind of plop that one on at the end on Wednesday night next week. But um, here I thought we could go through five of them, show some, some of the cool visualizations and talk through some of the ways that teams approach this problem. The, um, the football question was the one about root route combinations and coverages. What was the betting question? So the betting question was, um, what, is the, what should the value of quarterbacks and wide receivers be to the spread? And the requirement was you had to answer for Mahomes and Julio Jones um, and say what they should be worth to the spread in a theoretical game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, and we also provided some odds information from last year to go along with that to kind of help with that process. There's a little bit, a lot of similar data, but also some different data points there. Um, and we got, some, we got some good answers as far as that goes. I think that there also might've been some of the people in like the, the betting community that might be so not, not as quick to share their research <laughs> as we're accustomed to on the analytics front. Yeah, the betting community is not really an open source community. (laughs) 
want to dive in? Let's do it. This, this, I'm going to warn everyone, this may get a little PowerPointy, but there's some really interesting research here. Are we up? I can't yep. see it. Up. Can we put up the first graphic? Yes, this is the one showing cover three versus route combination with the slot and the cross and verts, yes. on, okay. verts on one side and slot and cross on the other. Yeah, so um, this one, Arjun Menon, excuse my, my uh, pronunciation, Arjun Menon, Connor McQuiston, and Joey DeCrisessi. Uh, these guys did an interesting thing. So they took the choice. We talked about how you're going to define the route combinations. They put them into existing route types, like what you see on the screen right there. So mostly they looked at half-field concepts, because that's another decision you have to make, right? Are we right. just talking about routes on this side of the field, or how do we fit the, the mesh concepts, things where you've got crossers coming in? How do we fit those in? So what they did was they looked mostly at half field, but they did identify a few full field concepts to look at. And uh, what they found, you know, the flood, high, low and divide concepts, for example, were the most popular ones that they that they found, which are popular concepts, I think, intuitively, we would say. Right. Um, and then they took a K-means clustering approach to cluster the 17, uh, the 32 teams into seven groups um, hmm. based on the play calling tendencies. So they kind of have seven different types of play callers that are out there, some of which aligned really well. Like I think uh, San Francisco and, and uh, the Rams might have been uh, in the same cluster. Um, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. But um, I thought the most interesting thing that they did was when they started answering about the coverages, what you see here um, is some of the concepts that stood out as good concepts to run against specific coverages. And you, this is an example of really in, something intuitive that you would find here. So um, first they graphed the concepts EPA when targeted versus the EPA when called, right? So you might be the targeted concept on the play. You might be on the backside of the play. They right. graphed those together and the route concepts where you had really good, whether you were targeted or whether you were just called on the play, this is what came together. I, I, I can't actually see the screen right now that you guys are looking at. Is it cover one, the example that we were looking at? This example is cover three with okay. slot three. cross on one side and all verts on the other. Right. And those make sense as cover three beaters, right? All verts mm -hmm. on one side. That would be kind of like part of a, a four verticals concept that you'd popularly see against cover three. So that, that's intuitive there. What do you have? on uh, Scissors on the front side? Is that what it is? Slot, slot cross. Oh, slot cross over there. So um, you're looking at something that's going to be taking advantage of those linebackers in the middle of the field. Um, more likely and putting the defense in the bind that way. So um, just kind of a, you know, a couple of really interesting ways to look at things there. I like the idea that you can do that when you cluster it by teams, that's a good sort of self-check. That's like a, a BS detector or a, a, you know, whatever you want, quality control that, oh yeah, the, the coaching tree families should line up with each other. Like you said, yeah, like a McVeigh and a Shanahan, should line up with each other, you know, a Nagy and a Peterson and a Reich should line up with each other. And that kind of shows you that you're getting, you're getting signal on things like this. You're getting good signal in terms of team choices, you know, variations in coaching and things like that. The most interesting thing when you group teams like that, and I don't expect you to remember if there were any like this, is when you end up with one team that's all by itself and doesn't group with anybody else. Hmm. Um, let me take a look right now. I, there was, uh, there were a couple of smaller group. Their smallest group was actually um, they had the Patriots and Saints in the same group. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, and it looks like from look. Yeah, that surprised me a little bit. Um, the Saints are funny last year though because um, different quarterbacks, different uh, yeah. different flavors a little bit. But the the common thing there was really high completion percentage uh, kind of concepts that both of these teams ran. Uh, <laughs> they identified Portland, Flood, and High Low. As, as the common things that you would see uh, in this cluster that was the Patriots and the Saints. It, it makes a little bit of sense because, uh, you know, Sean Payton worked under Bill Parcells. And so both of them, I think both of those offenses use Earhart Perkins language. Right. Right. And, and they were really trying to get the ball very short. Very yep. I mean, to, to take it to a most simple level there, it's like you're trying to get the ball in the flat to a back a lot in those offenses. So, uh, you yep. know, a flood concept is, is one way you can do that or to get somebody, you know, running from, you know, from the slot to the sideline or whatever. 
Yeah, and Mike, to what you were saying about the sanity checks before, I really liked seeing yeah. that the, the route concepts that were identified for each coverage team were intuitive. So mm -hmm. we, we looked at the cover three. I know against cover two, you had a, a scissors and a smash concept that yeah. were the two of the really popular concepts there. And it makes sense. You're, you're attacking those deep safeties and putting them yeah. in difficult situations. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, so that's interesting. And so uh, Arjun Menon, by the way, I'll point out, wrote an a injury-related guest column for us last week. He's a young guy from the University of Michigan, but he's doing some really Isaac good Star, stuff. clearly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is right. how you do it. This is how you do it, kids. You join competitions and you query guest articles. You don't, you don't drink the second keg or whatever. You get, your, you get your name out there while you're still in college. You could go after the keg while you're doing it. You can multitask. Good point. Good point. I didn't, I didn't want to completely sour the keg idea. Do both. <laughs> All right. We ready for the next one? Yeah, let's hit the next slide. Are you looking at something that says Appendix A on it? I believe that. Uh, no, we have a cover four from the same Arjun Menon one. Let's go to the slide after this. Okay. So everybody's just going to have to deal with us while we go with the slides. Yes, Appendix A. So this one is interesting. It's a bunch of red and green boxes that say D and O in them. Yeah, so what you're looking at here, uh, this group, Jackson Polk, Josh Kirby, Paxton Leaf, and Steven Plaisance. Um, the O's are advantage offense. The D's are advantage defense. The greener it is, the better for the offense. The redder it is, the better for the defense. And what you can see here is kind of a little bit of how they approached the route groupings, which was um, kind of taking, we talked about top down, bottom up. This is more the bottom up approach. So they looked at the, the route combinations as there was a slant and a slant on the same side of the field. There was a go and out and an out on the same side of the field. And that was uh, the route combination for them. Hmm. Um, now they did some things. They defined success. Um, going back to situationally, how things need to be different. They define success in terms of both explosiveness defined as high EPA and reliability defined as high completion percentage. Um, and they found some interesting takeaways. So first thing they found that I thought was kind of cool was, yeah, it matters where the routes are, but it also matters what position nominally the player plays and where they're lined up. So mm. a tight end, for example, if they're lined up as the number one receiver in a three-man concept, versus if they're lined up as the number three receiver in a three-man concept, seem to make a real big difference for them. Um, number, number one being the most outside receiver of the receivers on that side, and number three right. being usually the most inside receiver when you have three receivers on one side. Right, counting from outside in. Um, and so moving that tight end around had a big impact on how successful these were. And I think there might be a bit of a chicken and egg thing there, right? Like if I have a stud tight end, I might be lining him up in alignments yeah. that other people won't. Right. Uh, but it's interesting as you're evaluating route concepts to take, uh, you know, my old boss, Mike Lombardi, would used to say, it's not 21 personnel, it's 21 personnel with Julio Jones on the field. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. There's a difference uh, there. Um, so um, it's worth taking into account. Um, yeah, so looking good. at here, they did two, uh, they took half field routes, two and three man concepts, and they did some bootstrapping, which was a really nice step that they took to account for the differences in sample size, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to see curls run all the time by a lot of different teams, and you're going to see certain routes that aren't run as often. So to help control for, you know, the certainty associated with that, did some bootstrapping. Um, and then this is kind of their handy guide result. You know, this is like something that you could put in your back pocket, basically, um, and say, this is what we want to be running. If we, if we are at the line and we think that they're going to be in cover six, we want to be in slants against that. Um, if they're at the line and we, and you know, vice versa, if we're uh, the defense, um, we might want to be saying, uh, you know, in Tampa too, we don't have to worry about the curls concept so much, um, or not worry about two curls, but you are worried about three. Um, gets to some of the interesting results there a little bit too. But um, I thought this was a kind of cool little, um, here's one picture of how we, we could look at this in one snapshot. I think the most interesting thing to me is cover zero, that all the root combinations with two curls are good for the offense, but when you have three curls, it's good for the defense. I do wonder huh. if that's a sample size thing, because if it's not, that's like really fascinating. Right. Yeah. There I guess are you, need some, you guess need somebody going deep against that cover zero. Though. Like when you start having everybody a curl, you're 
it makes it very <laughs> easy to cover in man. And, you know, different approaches, you get different answers, right? Like yeah. uh, the approach that they took, I think they basically evaluated two curls as a two-man concept and three curls as a three-man concept. Hmm. And this is the result that you get from that. You could make different choices with how you, you look at that. Um, is it really that different? Could you group those in the same way? Um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of context to be involved in choices that are made. And um, this is what they came up with. Also, it looks like man cover two is not a great defense to play last year. All these combinations are offense uh, are better for the offense, except for one, except for flying out. Interesting. Interesting. Since that's is a good base. You think of that almost like a base default, although man cover two is also more of a passing down. Right. There's uh, no, there's nothing controlling here for the fact that nobody's running that on first and 10. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, right. like this is absolutely makes me want to go to NFL.com to, to game pass and like look up some of the plays with these combos and be like, okay, so what does that look like in like, so what does that actually look like? Except for the fact that they took the all 22 film down. Yeah. Yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put it back. Put it, Put back, it back now. Is it coming back? They say that at some point it is coming back. We're waiting. They yeah. say at some point Jesus is coming back. Let's move on. They do say that. Yes. <laughs> um, is the next one you have up, is that Joe Andruzzi? Let's hit the next slide and we will see. And the, the, the Twitch show is a few seconds behind us live. So it takes a few seconds to see the slide. So this is, there were four different visuals for this one. So this is, we're showing the one that's in the top left. That's top two man concepts. Right. Yeah. Talks about deep cross and post combination with the highest upside. Yeah, I think uh, these these uh, route visualizations I thought were, were pretty sleek looking that that Joe Andrews used here. Um, he took a really interesting path. So I'm going to kind of talk through a little bit how we get here. What you're looking at is the best suggested concepts that he found. Two man concepts on the top, three man concepts on the bottom. Mm. Uh, high upside, right? Maximizing EPA on the left, seeking the sticks, basically. Did it get a first down or not on the right? Um, so you get four optimal routes for kind of each coverage scheme. This is cover one that we're looking at. Hmm. Uh, but how he got here is really cool. So he went back. You're allowed to use any publicly available data um, along with the data that's provided. A lot of people link their stuff up with NFL Fast Star data for different things. He linked it up with 2018 Big Data Bowl data. Hmm. And what he did there was he used a methodology that, that had been previously created to create expected X and Y target locations for each route, right? So for every route in the SIS database, a curl, a post corner, a corner post, et cetera, what's the expected target location in a coordinate data sense based oh, wow. on where the receiver was lined up? So what he did with that is he could consider the backside route concepts along with the same side of field route concepts with the assumption that if the expected locations of opposite side of the field routes end up within 20 yards of each other, then they're part of the same concept, right? So if wow. you have crossers that are, that are coming and are actually designed to interact, they'll fall into that threshold where theoretically, um, if they're not, then, then they won't. Um, and this allows him to classify kind of everything all together, not having to make the choice between, am I doing half field, am I doing full field? It's conditional on this really kind of, um, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but, uh, very different way of thinking about things yes. uh, approach. This, this sort of holistic approach that looks at the old data along with the new and looks at a lot of different things. And by the way, it just always, I always find it weird that one of the top kids in analytics is named Joe Andrusi because yeah. I confuse him with the Patriots guard from the early Patriots. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's almost like a physics-based model in that respect. You're, you're, you're coordinate planning guys on the field, not necessarily saying, oh, in, in conjunction with you ran this route, you ran that route, but you're literally like plotting them at that point. Right. Yeah. He's, he's figuring out where they plot in order to figure out if they're interacting with one another. And mm -hmm. then that allowed him to get his version of the concepts, which is different than, than other concepts that other groups created. Mm -hmm. um, so then, yeah, coming back to this slide, we're looking at here, you get the high upside trying to maximize EPA seeking the sticks they called it success rate, but it was actually really, did you get a first down or not, which is probably more appropriate for what they were trying to do here. 
Um, and there are pages like this for each coverage scheme. So, I mean, you could spend a few minutes with each of these pages. So we split the, uh, we split the graphics in four. So what you're looking at here is the top left. So that's, okay, cool. so that's seeking the best EPA. If we want to show the next slide. Yep. That so one. Seeking the best EPA, you get the deep cross in post. Yep. And then seeking to first down, you get deep cross and go. These are, sorry, these are three man concepts. Three man. So still, the three man yeah. concepts now with the deep cross and double goes. Again, so high upside. Also makes sense, high upside. Right? And then the next slide should be seeking first downs. I mean, so the common thing you see with those two high upside ones is occupy the free safety and then get somebody else to come through deep. Um, here you're looking at now the first one seeking the sticks, two man concepts. You see a Let's basic see the seeking the sticks one. If we basic move to the mesh next graphic. seeking the sticks there, right? No surprise there. Uh, you'd love to run that against the cover one if, if, if the defense would be so kind. <laughs> So yeah, this is like two drags is the top one and then out two outs and then two digs and then another two drags. This is a lot of drags and outs. That's what gets you first downs. <laughs> right. Um, and then kind of uh, holistic findings by Joe identified that the deep cross was an optimal route and basically any route scheme against any concept. Mm. Everything, the, the models just were going nuts for him anytime the deep cross was involved. Um, and that's that's true when we look at uh, if you just look at uh, the average EPA of a play with a deep cross in it, you do see some signal there. Um, and then when optimizing for success, they they have lots of value uh, against you know the two drags, the mesh concept against man coverage schemes, cover zero and cover one. Again, very intuitive there. The findings uh, going back to what Mike was saying before, when it's intuitive like that, it makes you feel a little bit better about right. what. You're all right, let's skip the next slide, which was the last of the Andrewsy slides, and go to the next uh, project, which belongs to who's the next one that you want to highlight? I think this is Association Rules by Scott Fields. Yes, Association Rules, an example. So, Scott Fields, before you even try to interpret what you're looking at, he did something <laughs> really different here. Um, he didn't look at the most common combinations at all. He looked for route combinations and he was only interested in looking at them if they were called because they work well together and create an advantage for the offense that aside from that, he didn't even care. Um, so what did that mean? It means he looked at this, what he called uh, association rules and the association rules are what you're looking at here. So a tight end running a corner route on the right side and a running back running a flat route on the right side. He has three metrics for every route combination like that support, hmm. which is how often in the data set do both of these happen on the same play? Okay. Uh, confidence. How many plays with a, a tight end running a corner also have the running back running the flat. And then what he called lift, which is the running back flat route occurs, occurs four times more often when paired with the corner than in the rest of the data set. Hmm. By using this support confidence lift framework, which I had never seen before, he called it association rules, hmm. he was able to find that these routes are clearly intended to be working together. There's something about these going together that is not just um, counting the number of times that they happen to be happening. Right, right. So well, this so is often like the bottom of a flood concept. You'll have an out by a wide receiver on the same side, and then you've got the three levels. Right. That's, that's very true. What we're looking at here. So he took this, he found 15 route combinations that met a certain threshold in the support confidence lift framework and looked at how they performed against different schemes. Uh, the top performer against cover one, a slot fade with an outside curl on the same side. Um, so uh, a kind of reasonable finding there. Yes. Also certainly reasonable that those routes would be designed together um, against the cover three. Again, it liked the tight end corner route with what we're looking at right here with the flat route by the running back on the same side. This was a big cover three beater. Um, hmm. And back in my day when I coached high school football and every team ran cover three, every play, we liked this play. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then against split safety screens schemes, the thing that was popular that he found was uh, slants um, often on the same side of the field, a pair of slants together uh, against cover twos, cover fours. That was something that that was popular. Um, the one route that he kind of took a stance on was curls. They're way too overused. You see them. They're the most popular route in the NFL. 
And they were part of the worst performing combinations against all but one coverage scheme. So his big plea at the end was, please, everybody, let's get off of curls. We're overusing them and they're not that helpful. Was he watching Mike McCarthy's teams a lot? I was going <laughs> to say Cliff Kingsbury. Yes, yes. So, hey, he's watching I, all uh, it's, the data watches all the games. That's true. That's true. But those guys probably flooded it with some. There were a lot of curls. Of, if I remember correctly, DeAndre Hopkins ran the most curls in the league last year. And yeah, McCarthy uses a lot of them in Dallas. Right. I think it was like Hopkins followed by C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper and Gallup, like in that order. Something. something. It's a funny thing when we talk about Kingsbury and how he's like a uh, very new age offense, very progressive. Everybody thinks of it being a spread out offense. It's about as simple an offense as you have, though, right? Like, uh, it's it's bubble screens, it's goes. Like, there's not there's not a big uh, route tree. So it's, it's yeah. Like, I don't know if you've seen the Arizona chapter of the book yet, but that's the joke: is that we run the Cliff Kingsbury route tree next to the NFL route tree, and the Cliff yeah. Kingsbury route tree has half as many routes on it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's the Charlie Brown Christmas tree, practically. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, guys, I think we got one more to look at. Yeah, let's look at the last one. Uh, this one uh, by an old an old friend of SIS with some with some friends of his, Keegan Abdu, uh, Dr. Bud Davis, Joey Ferriola, and Mark Schofield, uh, popular names in the football analytics Twitter world. Yeah, uh, they were a well equipped team and they did a lot of really good stuff. So we're looking at this chart right now, I, I believe, of route concept explosiveness versus consistency. Um, so this is kind of starting at the end. Um, one of these cool little graphs that, that is perfectly made for Twitter, where you look at all the different route types and you see success rate on the bottom. What do you want to be? A lot of people took the framework of explosiveness versus success rate, um, which I, I think is reasonable and probably influenced by football outsiders in a lot of ways. Um, looking at those two things together, um, but I'll try to give a little bit of an overview of how they got here because they did it. Um, Maybe I don't know which one was more different between this one and the association rules, but they put the routes into 20 common concepts, right? So they came with a, with a strict, very football-based dictionary of here are the 20 common concepts that we believe that teams are running the most often. And that accounted for 70% of the plays in the data set. They were able to fit 70% of all the route combinations into those 20 concepts that they knew going into things. Um, then what they did for the other 30% of plays is they used a convolution neural network to create wow. images of those plays and label them, right? Huh. So if you weren't identified as one of these uh, basic, uh, I mean, I'm saying basic common concepts, I should say, then they said, let's use, uh, let's automatically draw it um, using ggplot or whatever, get the routes on the paper and then show it to a neural network, which can tell us what it's most similar to um, and, and what we should be labeling it as. And a couple of examples of how they were able to figure things out here. Um, if you had a three wide receiver route combo that was curl on the outside, a go route in the middle, and an out route on the inside, well, they combined that as a Haas, the curl and the go, and in Ohio, the go and the out. Hmm. So using what's called a multi-item classification, they actually they classified this three-man concept as both of those two-man concepts. Hmm. So you don't get the, you don't lose that 30%. Uh, other things they found, a flat seven combination was something, one of their original 20, right? A corner route with a flat route. Um, well, they also saw that there were whip routes with the corner route that was essentially geometrically doing the same thing as the flat mm. seven. And by using this, this CNN, they're able to fit that in there. Not, not that kind of CNN, this kind of CNN. Um, they're able to fit that in and get them all into the same groupings. So, all of these plays, they called them they called them novel route concepts because they weren't part of the twenty that they that were the traditional route concepts. But they were able to classify all of the plays by using this this combination of um, approaches. Um, so, a couple of really interesting findings because uh, you could kind of they they really went in a lot of different directions. They didn't say in a vacuum the EPA per play of this route concept is the best right. concept is the worst. They they, they showed it and they were like, it's really not that interesting. There's not that big a spread. It, it depends on a lot of things. So they got into some of the more interesting findings there. Um, one of them splitting it by middle of the field open, by middle of the field closed coverage. They right. were able to know which of the route concepts were really meant to be used against one of those schemes versus the other. Hmm. Uh, they also 
also recommended route combinations to pair with RPO concepts, right? Some route combinations are not suited for RPOs and some of them are more suited. Um, and so the Dino and the Y cross, those were the two that they said, we should see more of these taking advantage of the middle of the field route concepts to go along with the RPO again, which is intuitive. Um, and then um, what we're looking at, what we're looking at um, here, it's the route explosiveness versus consistency. So um, you need a first down sticks um, might be, might be the way to go. But if you're trying to maximize EPA, you might want to go for scissors or, or something like that. And again, very intuitive. The flood route just, just comes out. I, I, I'm just like, wow. Like there must be coverages that flood particularly works well against, but overall, boy, does it come out worse than everything else. <laughs> right. His, historically, you think, you know, we're trying to flood the zones and X, Y, and Z. Right. I think that modern, nobody plays country cover three anymore. I think modern <laughs> better answers at this point for that. So maybe that's what's going on there. But like you said before, I'd love to throw the film on and just look at all of them. Right. Totally. Right. So um, in terms of the novel concepts also versus the traditional concepts, and there's a ton more that's going to be coming on Wednesday. Like I'm just giving the highlights here. But, <laughs> um, and this is just five of the, I mean, there'll only be three finalists that present there, but I mean, um, I don't know which of these are going to make it. Uh, R&D crew, we're still, we're still working that out. Um, but another thing they found, not a big difference between the novel concepts and the traditional concepts in terms of performance. Uh, Titans, Packers, Niners, and Rams um, kind of makes sense that those teams would all be grouped together. Yep, yep, yep. They ran more novel concepts and they were all pretty good offensively, you know, quarterback, quarterbacks being out of side and things like that. The Bucks and Colts, um, those are teams that ran almost all traditional concepts, and they, they also performed really well on offense last year. So <laughs> it's not you want to run these new things that nobody's running. You want to run the old school tried and true. Um, different strokes for different folks. <laughs> well, it's all really interesting. These have all been really cool. Yeah. So thank you for coming on and sharing them. And again, for reminding everybody the finals where they're going to do final presentations of the finalists and then pick a winner is going to be on YouTube. And that's Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. Yeah. Follow us on, on Twitter at sportsinfo underscore SIS. That's where all the information comes. I'm at Matt Mano, M-A-T-T-M-A-N-O. I'm also obviously uh, pushing all the information out there. The judges are going to be awesome. Um, we've got the former NFL players. We've got uh, Aaron Schatz. Um, we've got uh, people that are that are legendary in the Vegas uh, bookmaking fields uh, coming out. So uh, team employees um, are going to be there. So it, it really runs the gamut in terms of uh, what we're doing here. Last year was a huge success. This year we're trying to do it even bigger. Um, sharing the data with the world, getting to see all these awesome uh, people that are up and comers in the industry and making some money for charity. Uh, so please donate. Yeah. And doing stuff that's really football specific. Like that was always my goal from the beginning from 20 years ago. And it's really great how the research community has, like you're talking about root concepts. You're talking the language of coaches. Like coaches can yeah. understand the idea of, listen, we've done the research and this root concept works against this coverage. Right. Like, that's speaking of football language. Yeah, if, if, I'm, if I was back working for a team uh, like I had earlier in my career, I wouldn't just be telling the analysts to tune in. I would be telling the coaches and the receivers. If I was a quarterback, I'd be sitting down with my receivers saying, let's see if we can pick anything up that we want to experiment yeah. with and try. I can tell you, Sean Payton and Drew Brees, a lot of it was just open brainstorming that led to some of the best concepts that the Saints ever ran. We hmm. know that there are certain root combinations that work against certain coverages, but I think this research should show that there are other root combinations that we don't particularly right. think of that work sure. against certain coverages. And I would want to know what those were. And some that don't work that you think work because they looked good on paper. They worked in 1997 <laughs> that we now have data that shows that's not the case anymore. Absolutely. What else is new? Football people in 2021 are influenced by things that worked in the nineties. Uh, <laughs> and the seventies. So yeah. Right. All back right, when man. safeties couldn't cover all that ground, you know, they couldn't get that far back then. No, that's true. <laughs> uh, Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. That This was awesome. I loved going through all this stuff. There's so many cool ideas here. I'm looking forward to Wednesday night, seeing more and like getting to actually question the folks who did this research. Thanks for hosting this competition every year. It's great, man. Thank you so much for having me. Great to see you guys as always. And I'll talk to you soon. All right. We'll talk to you soon, man.
All right, that's Matt Manicharian from Sports Info Solutions. Thank you so much for joining us on today's Football Outsiders Radio Hour. Uh, once again, you're watching twitch.tv slash fboutsiders, or you're listening to us after the fact on your favorite podcast app. A reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast app, please rate the show. It helps people find us. What'd you think, Mike? Imagine if that was around when we were 22. I was I, first of all, I would be entering all those competitions. Yeah. But yeah. then I would know a lot more about doing analytics because there would have been a data analytics major that I could have majored in that <laughs> didn't exist 25 years ago. And we and the, this community that could have shared ideas with. Granted, I would have been the guy who just wrote the essay explaining, well, this is what a coder should do. I would not have bothered with all that. But still, the opportunity to get this data and then share this data and win prizes and, and, and get recognition for it. Absolutely yeah. phenomenal. Constantly, Matt says, thanks for the stream. I am not really knowledgeable enough to understand a lot of the tactical details, but it's still entertaining to listen. Thank you. I'm glad you liked it. I hope a lot of people liked it. Yeah. We're going to now zig in a completely different direction for the last 20 minutes of the show. And uh, this has been an important week. Training camps open. There's been lots of training camp news. Uh, Aaron Rodgers giving a crazy press conference yesterday. What did you think of the Aaron Rodgers press conference yesterday, Mike? It was hallucinatory. It was hallucinatory. I am watching somebody go out there and air on the first day of work, first day back to work, and air a five-minute long manifesto list of grievances against his uh, against his team that went back to that went back to Charles Woodson, that yeah. went back to Jordan. Charles Woodson is going into the Hall of Fame, and, and we're still. Yeah. And also like the talk, he talked about some players like that he wished he'd been consulted on that made you feel like, well, maybe Aaron Rodgers should not be a general manager like Jake Kumaro. <laughs> yeah, who had one catch when he wound up on another team or like the long snapper, like he's got an opinion on the long snapper. And it's totally not just that this is a guy he likes talking to. He's got like long snapping opinions. And that's where it gets to, you know, you know for me, because even I was talking with my wife, you know, if you have a high level employee like Aaron Rodgers, who's been with the organization and means that much, maybe they should have a say, a voice in the decision-making. Maybe they should be talked to. Maybe they should come into some meetings now and then. But it has to be a recognition that, you know, I, like in the past when I was a teacher, I would be brought in when they're hiring new math teachers, come sit on the interviews, come listen to them. But it's not like I made the decision or that I could like, you know, say all my piece. Like I, I said, I like this, I like that. I walk out, the boss makes the decision. Aaron Rodgers sounds like he wants to go in there. And from what I heard yesterday, just wants to stand for his buddies. Doesn't care about the salary cap. Doesn't recognize that. It's like, I like Jordy Nelson. I like Randall Cobb. I like Jake Kumaro. I like the long snapper. I'm going to come in here and stand for my buddies. And if you don't like it, I'm still going to walk out and I'm going to air the dirty laundry about it. That shows you don't deserve that opportunity, that you're not the right guy for that. That's all I kept hearing is like, I wanted this. I wanted this. I wanted this. And the way I'm talking about this indicates why I wasn't getting it because I, I, I can't be trusted with making these decisions or even having input in these decisions. Well, he's going to have, he uh, constantly, Matt says, to be fair, he did emphasize that he's not asking for final decision power. Of course not. Of well, course he's, not. He yeah. just has a, he just has a burn book that goes back 10 years. But he, he didn't, need... <laughs> yeah, he didn't get much in the deal to come back. Like he got them to trade a sixth round pick for Randall Cobb and he got sort of like, he still doesn't know whether he's going to be in green Bay in 2022 or not. There's no assurances that he's going to be traded after this year. Right. And, and I was saying this before, it's like Randall Cobb's back now. Okay. What happens if he's benched for a game? What happens if he's not the best receiver on the team? He doesn't want final control over this, but he's now engineering that he wants his guys back. Is it going to be friction? Are, uh, is is LaFleur going to be putting together a game plan saying, oh, I better get my 10 targets for Randall Cobb. Otherwise, Aaron's just going to throw to him anyway. This is terra incognita in terms of how weird this is. And I, I guess people see me on Twitter and I'm kind of being, I'm being extra snarky about Aaron Rodgers. It's because we're like, we're congratulating him on being so honest and so open. And so he's standing up for his old friends. He's, he's talking about stuff that happened in 2016. That's what he's talking about here. He's, he's, he's airing old grudges that, that should be so far water under the bridge to him. It's just a very unusual situation for the Green Bay Packers. And, and I don't see it ending any other way than the way a lot of their seasons end, where somebody makes a decision Aaron doesn't like, playoffs end, and Aaron lets all of us know he didn't like the decision. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, at least having Rogers back means we don't have to run a brand new simulation. Yes. Yeah. I <laughs> like was on, I, on Friday. Run a new simulation, Aaron. Run a new simulation. It was, it's, that was when, um, when, when, when the announcement came out or the stories came out that books were taking the Packers over under off the books yeah, because they expect, expected Rogers to retire. Yeah. I was like, Oh God. All right. Well, we're going to have to do a completely new simulation. If yeah. Rogers retires, let's, let's get started. So we have it to talk about as soon as the news comes out. Right. And then all of a sudden the next day, it was like, no, no, actually the complete opposite is happening. <laughs> Rogers is totally coming back and everything is fine now. Yes. And everything is not fine, but he is definitely coming back, but it's fine from a projections point of view. I'll throw, I'll throw something out here. This is, I, I mentioned this yesterday to you on this. Here's one of the prop bets for the Packers uh, that I, I saw. So tell me if this excites you. So over for Aaron Rodgers, 49, 4,999.5, let's say over 5,000 passing yards. And over 50 touchdowns, you get plus 2,500. So over 5,050 for Aaron Rodgers at plus 2,500. I actually kind of like that bet at those huge odds. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. If I wanted to root for him this year, and I don't think I really want to root for him this year after, after the way this has gone down, I would I would be jumping on that. I put $10 on that on those odds because it's like, uh, it's, it's tasty at those odds. So we came up with that because we wanted to spend today going through a little bit of our favorite odds to make the playoffs. Yeah. Both you and I yesterday went through on, uh, I believe, DraftKings, their yes. current odds to make the playoffs or miss the playoffs for all 32 teams. And we have our picks for our favorite odds. So this is going to be based not just on the likelihood that a team makes the playoffs. Because if we were going for like our favorite teams to make the playoffs, of course, we'd pick Kansas City and Tampa Bay. Right. But this is based on the odds, what we think are the best bets to make the playoffs. So let's show Mike's first and talk through your favorite bets to make the playoffs in 2021 in the NFL. Well, I'm going to start with the Bears at plus 190. And part of it is I, I, like, I like the juice on that. I like that. I like that payout on that. On the possibility that we're talking about a 9-8 and eight team with an outstanding defense squeaking in as the final wild card, you know, with that, with that possibility in there and be able to get sort of a two to one type situation. I kind of like that. And that, and that's kind of agnostic of the quarterback situation there, because again, with that defense and, and we set the low bar at final playoff team, that's pretty good. Saints at plus plus one forty. I think we're really building that off of our projection for the saints. We're higher. I mean, it should be not the saints the Steelers Steelers yes. at plus one forty. Yeah. We're higher on them than I think most of the world is. Again, especially in the AFC, you look at the AFC that has the leaf litter of teams at the bottom that are very unlikely to make the playoffs. So you can kind of scratch five or six teams off the bottom. That creates a situation where a pretty good team is going to rise to the top. So I like the Steelers there. I'm going to skip the Raiders for a second. We'll probably talk about them together. Eagles plus 275. That's the homer pick. I'm not really sanguine about the Eagles. But if you give me the home team at that action so that if it's the end of the season, if it's another year where, you know, seven and 10 might win the NFC East and the Eagles are in the, in the possibility. And I put this futures bet down and I'm there rah, rah, cheering with my, with my, uh, with my neighbors at the bar over this, then it's worth it. It's worth a flyer as a, as a, uh, as a futures bet to bet the home team when you're getting that kind of odds. But I think the one of the ones we both agree on there is the Raiders plus three fifty. And for me, it's not even so much our projections is, that's a lot of juice on a team that I would normally not care about one way or the other, but I think is pretty good. I, I don't have a lot of interest in Raiders games. I'm going to watch them so I can write about them here. And that's the one I might play because I can put that futures bet down and have that investment. If I'm sitting down watching some Thursday night football game with the Raiders, I have that investment in saying I'm going to be rooting for them every week because I'm getting, you know, plus 350. We have the Raiders as the most bland team in the league this year, <laughs> right? We have them as the most average team. Right. Give the most average team plus 350. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Right? Like they make the playoffs in 37.5% of our simulations. Right. Plus 350 is a 22%. That is just a nice. huge, huge difference. And the problem is that the Raiders, people are thinking the Raiders are bad because the Raiders are boring. But that's right. the thing is that they're boring. They're not, their offense is kind of underrated. Right. And I 
I don't think they ended up with a particularly difficult schedule, if I remember correctly. They're just kind of there. But a team that's just kind of there can absolutely stumble into the playoffs at 10 and seven if things go right for them. And plus 350 is just, this is like one of the best lines. I think there are, this is this line to make the playoffs ranked 28th at DraftKings. There were only four teams that had larger odds. Right. And and again, it's the Raiders. This is a team that if you remember every season starts, starts about six and four. Every season, I, I think I've written, I wrote like so many like for, at past outlets. This could be the year for the Raiders because they've turned the corner because they look like they're a wild card team. And then it kind of falls apart because their defense is weak and they face a tougher opponent down the stretch. But it's only got to turn around a little. And again, it's that AFC factor. You know, I'm not that sanguine about the, the Bears. I, li- I like the, the number there. But you know there's going to be strong teams in the NFC East. You can just erase the Jaguars right now, the Jets right now. You can erase the Bengals right now, more or less, although I think you have some thoughts on that. Um, you can erase so many of these teams that you can just turn around and say, well, who's that last team? That last team is often not very, uh, not very thrilling, frankly, and it could very well be the Raiders this year. Uh, constantly, Matt says, I like the Steelers. I believe in Tomlin. Nobody talks about how COVID screwed them and took away their bye week. Yeah, yeah. there's so many COVID-related things that it's really hard to adjust for. And that's one of them. Like, what was the meaning of taking away Pittsburgh's bye week last year? I have absolutely no idea. Right. It seems like they faded because they faded. But they also had, like, these massive schedule disruptions. And that's not something you can plug into the projections or anything. It's really weird to me that we have them with the number one projected defense. And yet it's offense where it seems like we are way ahead of everybody else in our projections for the Steelers. And it's not like we're projecting their offense to be good we just aren't projecting it to be horrendous yeah and i think that's it we're projecting using data and and you know how it is when you're not doing a lot of analysis you're projecting based on uh, roethlisberger's arm look like a noodle and juju's on instagram too much and i don't know the names of the alignment you get a different projection doing that than when you're actually trying to crunch the numbers but by the way uh, it's a middle of the pack schedule for the raiders Guess why it took me so long to find their schedule? Because you, know, you looked up Oakland first. 100%. 100%. I was looking for <laughs> Oakland. I couldn't find Oakland. LV, it's very much middle of the pack. All right, let's look at my playoff odds bets. So one of them will be really familiar to you because I also took the Raiders at plus yes. 350. I just, like I just said, I just think this team is really blah yeah. and totally could stumble its way into the playoffs. And I also took the Cincinnati Bengals at plus 500. Now, remember, I said there were only four teams that had worse odds than Las Vegas to make the playoffs, according to DraftKings. One of them was Cincinnati. And this is the sort of what if Joe Burrow puts it all together bet. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's not that I expect it to happen, but plus 500 means that you expect them to make the playoffs 17% of the time. And we have them in the playoffs 27% of the time. So it's a nice distance. Now there were a couple of the other big odds teams that I almost went with in particular, the Detroit lions Mm -hmm. (laughs) who are at plus seven fifty, and we have that's 12% and we have them making the playoffs 25% of the time. But we were talking about this yesterday Like, I think everybody is a little too low on the Lions in part because if we really feel that Matt Patricia wrecked that team so much, they should get better without him. But I like the idea of going Detroit over in wins a lot better than I like the idea of trying to expect them to go to the playoffs. Like, you can see them surprising everyone by going 7-10. and Seeing them surprise everyone by going to the playoffs is a lot harder to see. Yes. And by the way, that over under for the Lions is way down at 4.5 right now. Yeah, that's really too low. Yeah. If you you are a a Lions fan or just want to watch the early game on Thanksgiving and care a little bit more, 4.5, that is low. That's pretty tasty based on the projections we have. I just feel like people feel like that team is a wreck. And yet Mm -hmm. at the same time, they feel like, well, last year that team was a wreck. Well, then things had to have gotten better in some ways. Yes, the quarterback is worse, but if you believe the coaching is better, right? Like good that team, on, good talent on this line, good talent on that line, talent the secondary that fell apart possibly because of the coaching, but with the, and also they don't have a lot of fantasy skill position talent, which I think sometimes impacts 
the, the public. How people the see them, right. Their number one wide receiver is probably Brashad Perriman, so. <laughs> or, or Amen, uh, Aramen. Amen, uh, Amen Ross St. Brown. Yes. Although I, lo I love DeAndre Sarah. Swift because, um, you know, I took him in Scott Fishbowl, so go DeAndre Swift. <laughs> um, my next one is the Patriots, and this is not a homer bet, although mm. if I were to make the homer bet, it would be on the Patriots. But we yeah. have the plus 110 suggests that they are more likely to miss the playoffs, and we have them as more likely to make the playoffs. It's that simple. Right because of the expecting their defense to rebound. It's not that we expect their offense to be good. It's that we expect their defense to rebound with all the talent that they're either returning or adding on defense. So I, I was surprised that the Patriots bet was a plus bet and not a minus bet. And so that I like that one. Yeah. That's another perceptual one thing too. I think a lot of us have in our brain Patriots on the way down. Well, on the way down doesn't cooked. mean we have Newton is cooked the same way we have Roethlisberger is cooked on the brain. Right, right, right. And it's not necessarily, you know, stay tuned. And it's also making the playoffs, not winning the Super Bowl. And the other one I liked is I took a minus bet. So I took a bet where we're actually betting that the team is more likely to make the, uh, the playoffs than not. But mm -hmm. I think that this is still a good bet. And that's Seattle, right. where we are sort of the exceptions in having Seattle higher than San Francisco and the Rams. And I realized that, yes, there's a lot of question marks, especially about their secondary, but Russell Wilson does cover a lot of ills. Right. And I still feel like this is a good bet to be the best team in the NFC West. And I, so I feel like they're more than a, this is like a 53% chance to make the playoffs. I feel like they're a little bit better chance than that to make the playoffs. And that's one of those things I, I believe in our projections too, but there's not, I don't usually do a minus bet on a futures because like there has to be like that thrill that at the end of the season, there's going to be a big payday coming in. And it's like, yeah, you know, my hundred bucks gave me 170, whatever, you know, it isn't enough, but I think the projections right on. I just don't love the line. Right. Instead in this way, your hundred bucks gets you like 88 back or something. Right. Along right. Those lines. Right. Uh, one more, just Bill Houston, like looking at our commentary, I have mixed feelings about Rogers. It takes guts to speak out against corporate power, but I would advise Rogers not to bottle his grievances up for so long and next time to reflect more before venting to the press. Yeah. Also, Rogers seems intelligent, but is he a jerk? Well, this gets to some discussions we were having over dinner when we were all in Louisville last week, where I believe sure. the opinion of most of us was yes. Um, Aaron Rodgers is probably, th this was a question that they asked on NFL Network, like what NFL personality would you most want to be stuck in a space <laughs> capsule with, which is what happens when you're the NFL Network and you have to fill three hours every morning. <laughs> and somebody picked Aaron Rodgers and we were like, Aaron Rodgers might be the person I would least like to be stuck in a space mm. capsule with. Yeah, he, was, he would throw you out an airlock to get himself five more minutes of life, guaranteed. And I think that, that that's kind of what you heard. If you really listen to it and really read it, it does, yeah, I, I like the idea of speaking out to power, et cetera. This wasn't speak, this was speaking out to power about himself. I know he couched in, you were unfair to Jordy Nelson five years ago. If you don't hear this was a, this is just about him, 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 him. And it, it was, maybe, maybe, you do, maybe you close the door with the owner, well, not the owner, the, with Murphy and, and Gutekunst, and you have this out when you're having a, a fit. You just, a public forum like that, that's, that's, that's staggering. That's staggering. I, I think for those of us who do analytics, we're so big on the idea of efficiency in football. Mm -hmm. And the fact is, is that it is more efficient for front offices to get rid of a guy's favorite teammate mm -hmm. when that guy's over the hill. Mm -hmm. Like it, from a personality perspective, it sucks. And there are certain times where you may feel that a guy is on the verge of being over the hill and you want to keep him right. to keep your stars happy. But I mean, I don't think you can go back in time and say the Packers made a mistake letting Jordy Nelson go to the Raiders. No, no. Most of those decisions were fine. Micah Hyde was one. That, but I have, I have this feeling that it was also he just rattled off a list and he wasn't some of them were his buddies and some of them were just, oh, you know what? Every time you got rid of a, of a veteran, that was bad. That was disrespectful. And that's where, where he's coming from mentally. Then he doesn't then you, then you don't want his opinion uh, yeah. when you're about to make decisions. Constantly, Matt says, maybe it's positive to get all the bad feelings out right now and then go into the next season with a clean slate, especially if you want to win a Super Bowl. I don't know if the bad feelings are all out right now. I think yeah. this stuff carries over. 
Yeah, and how clean is the slate when Randall Cobb's running around right now because Aaron said so. All right, we're going to sign off for this week. Thanks a lot to Matt Manicharian from Sports Info Solutions for joining us. A reminder, next Wednesday night on YouTube is the finals of the uh, SIS Analytics Competition. Lots of good stuff about defensive coverages and root combos. Thanks again to Mike Tanier, as always, for joining me. Football Outsiders Radio Hour. Thanks to all of you for watching on YouTube, for listening on podcasts, for watching on Twitch. If you don't have Football Outsiders Almanac 2021 yet, how are you even talking to us? Because <laughs> like everybody who's a fan of our work should be having this book by now. Either you should be buying it on Amazon or you should be subscribing to FO+. And the FO Plus July sale only lasts a couple more days. So it's like your last chance to get FO Plus for just a dollar a month for the full year. So please go to footballoutsiders.com and check that out. Thanks again to everybody for joining us. And we will be back next Thursday at 1 p.m. for another edition of the FO Radio Hour. Take care.